Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. All right, let's do this. Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Matt Lombardo, and this is an action-packed show on tap for you as we are now officially less than one week away from the 2021 NFL Draft, less than one week away from Trevor Lawrence being the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and certainly a lot of intrigue at the top of the board, and we're going to break it all down. Some great guests on this podcast for you, former New Orleans Saints general manager and the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Mueller, will join us. We'll get his thoughts on this draft class, on the quarterbacks, on Trevor Lawrence, all of it. And we'll chat with Penn State defensive end Shaka Tony, a really intriguing prospect who I think has a really good chance of going on day two of the NFL draft. But before we get into all of that, before we start breaking it all down, some housekeeping for you. If you like what you hear on the podcast, I would really love it if you subscribe. Just go to the Apple Podcast Store and search for Fansided Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. And Stacking the Box is Fansided's NFL podcast that drops every Tuesday with Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen. And the Matt Lombardo Show hits every Friday. You get two NFL national podcasts for one subscription. And if you really like what you hear, I would really love it if you went into that Apple Podcast Store and you left a five-star review. Let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, which guests you'd like me to try to get on, because it really helps grow the show and it would mean a lot. So please subscribe and please leave those five-star reviews. And certainly this is an NFL draft class that will be getting some five-star reviews on the offensive side of the ball. With the defensive side and the defensive prospects, well, maybe not so much. Because when you talk to executives and scouts around the league, they'll rave about the quarterbacks and the talk of Trevor Lawrence being a generational prospect at the most important position in sports. And Zach Wilson maybe becoming the next Patrick Mahomes because of his ability to manipulate the pocket and some of the throws that he's able to make evading pressure. And then you have, you know, some of the wide receivers. Devonta Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. Teams are enamored by him, even though, He weighs in at just 166 pounds. Jalen Waddell averaging 21 yards per reception. And Jamar Chase out of LSU, he might be the best wide receiver to come out of LSU, a program that's already produced guys like Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and Justin Jefferson. You talk to people around that program, you talk to people who have trained with Jamar Chase and trained with some of those all pros, and they'll tell you Jamar Chase is the best of that bunch. So some great offensive talent, some great offensive players, But once you get out of the top five or six defensive players, once you get past the Micah Parsons and the J.C. Horns and the Patrick Sertains, some of the top cornerbacks in this year's class, it's kind of bereft of high-end talent. And overall, this draft class is about half to two-thirds the size of a normal NFL draft class because it's something like 660 players have committed to signing with agents after declaring for the NFL draft when typically it's 1,200 or 1,300 players. And that's where a couple of things are in play here. Number one, I still give a lot of credit to Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles because not only 
by their two trades that they made, they've now, their trade with the Miami Dolphins gives them an additional pick next year. They're picking 12th, but they added a couple picks to their arsenal this year where they can move up and go back into the top 10 if they fall in love with a Devonta Smith or a Jalen Waddell or a Jamar Chase. But more importantly, they have up to three first-round picks next year in a deeper draft class, a draft class that won't have all of the opt-outs and all of the questions that come with those guys. And the Dolphins really did the same thing because they moved back and then they moved back up to number six, where, yes, as I wrote in the column on Wednesday, they might have traded themselves into a little bit of a tough spot because if they love Kyle Pitts, he's probably gone. He's not making it past the Atlanta Falcons at number four. We talked about this last week. Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, is just enamored and head over heels with Kyle Pitts and sees him as Tony Gonzalez 2.0 and believes that with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts, that you know that offense has a chance to be more productive than what Tony Gonzalez, a Hall of Famer, was able to give them. And you look at Pitts, he's six foot six, he's 246 pounds. Last year, caught 43 passes for 770 yards, 12 touchdowns, just under 18 yards per reception. And, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I think he's the most complete and dominant tight end to ever declare for the NFL draft. And I spoke to an a AFC East executive this week who told me that Kyle Pitts has Hall of Fame perennial All Pro potential. And this executive believes that he plays, Kyle Pitts does, the tight end position at a higher and better level than Trevor Lawrence plays his, the quarterback position. So if Chris Greer, the general manager of the Dolphins, is all in on Kyle Pitts, they might have to move back up. They might have to move up from number four to number three, which isn't happening because you talk to some people and Kyle Pitts is legitimately in play for the San Francisco 49ers at number three. Now that would be silly to give up all of that draft capital to go and draft a tight end. But if, you know, John Lynch doesn't believe that Mac Jones or Trey Lance or Justin Fields or whoever the third best quarterback prospect is, is better than Jimmy Garoppolo, you look at Pitts, he's an ideal fit for that offense on the other side of an offensive line with George Kittle. You could have the best two tight end combo in the league and Kyle Shanahan's offense is built to exploit the kind of mismatches that Kyle Pitts and George Kittle will create. But more than likely, the 49ers are going quarterback. They're going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and he'll be traded at some point, one would think. But that leaves the Dolphins in a really interesting spot. And I applaud Chris Greer for adding to their war chest next year. Accumulating future draft picks is huge in a draft class that has this many question marks and this many unknowns surrounding the guys who haven't played football in over a year, the guys who opted out, not to mention... There are guys in next year's draft that are going to be better prospects and be underdrafted just because there are so many more players involved than the players in this year's class. So that's certainly something to watch. Kyle Pitts' landing spot is something to watch. And this could be unprecedented where we could have four quarterbacks going in the top 10 picks, maybe even four in the top five depending what happens with the trade and depending if a team like the Denver Broncos at nine or a team like the New England Patriots tries to move up into the top five to get a quarterback. But there's also something else in play here, and it's kind of bigger picture and continuing a trend that's been going on in the NFL. Now, it's easy for everybody to say that it's a passing league and it's an offense-heavy league, and in a lot of ways, that's very true. You'll just look at the scoring in this league. We saw a record 24.8 points per game scored 
in the league last year. That's up from 22.8 in 2019, which was down slightly from 23.3 points per game in 2018. And back in 2017, teams only averaged 21.7 points per game. But I think one of the reasons why scoring was up last year is because you had all of the uncertainty around COVID-19. And offenses at the start of training camp are always going to be ahead of the defenses. Now you take mini camps and OTAs away. Now that gives the offense an even larger edge. You look at some of the issues in terms of depth of rosters that was tested last year by guys having to go into the COVID-19 protocols and missing practices and missing games. That all led to more scoring and higher offensive output. Now, if you take a draft class with fewer players and a draft class that is significantly deeper on the offensive end, be it at wide receiver where it might be historically deep, a very historically talented at the top of the board class at quarterback, you have the tight ends like Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth, not that many big guys on either side of the line of scrimmage, some really dominant quarterbacks, but not a lot of many great linebackers outside of Micah Parsons. And, and you kind of have the recipe here that at least for the next couple of years before things even back out of the offense having an even bigger advantage and you might even see more scoring in the NFL. Who's to say that next year we aren't going to see 27 to 28 points per game just based on the Justin Jeffersons and the Jalen Ragers and the Justin Herberts and the Joe Burrows and the Tua's all taking a big step from last year's class? and high-end prospects from this year's class getting a leg up on the defensive players in the last two years. So that's something to keep an eye on long-term. And in the short term, on the other side, we'll chat with Randy Mueller, former New Orleans Saints general manager, the 2000 Executive of the Year, about his thoughts on the quarterbacks, his thoughts on this class, and then we'll pick Shaka Tony's brain, the Penn State defensive end, about what this pre-draft process has been like for him and what teams are getting in Shaka Tony, what they'll be getting in Micah Parsons and Jason Owe, two of his teammates who are projected to go in round one. So a lot coming up. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. The Matt Lombardo Show podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body at the same time. We start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining their miraculous health benefits. Then we blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel your best you ever have. The result, fall in love with truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the past six years, we've been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. We're offering up to 15% when you use the promo code MINUTE15. Just go to earthechofoods.com slash minutemedia and follow us on social at Danette May and at Earth Echo Foods. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? 
Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, Inside Fan Sided Stacking the Box podcast. And joining us right now, a conversation I'm really looking forward to, former New Orleans Saints, Miami Dolphins general manager, and the 2000 Executive of the Year, who runs an outstanding blog and has outstanding football coverage at MuellerFootball.com. Randy Mueller joins us. Randy, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you. Hey, excited to talk some football with you and pick your brain about the draft. And not only this draft, but what it's like on draft weekend from a general manager and executive's perspective. It's one that not a lot of people usually get the chance to get. Um, right. And I guess right out of the shoot, I'm just curious. Everybody knows and it seems everybody believes that Trevor Lawrence is a generational prospect and the top quarterback in this class. But how did the quarterbacks stack up behind him in your evaluation? Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, general, good generalization. I think Trevor Lawrence, and I went back and looked at all of my grades from the last three or four years when I was actively scouting in the NFL, and he kind of falls to the top of the list. I mean, not falls, but he's, he's at the top of the list, and that's, that's uh, comparing him to guys from last year, the year before, and the year before that. So I'm in the consensus with him as well. The other guys for me is I do like the um, Zach Wilson kid from BYU next. I just think there's so many things he does in second and third level quarterbacking tasks that kind of set him apart. It's just really natural for him. He not only makes all the throws that everybody sees off platform in and out of the pocket, but he throws some people open. He anticipates like a veteran. Um, I just think there's a lot of things that these other guys rated behind him might get to, but they're not there yet. So for me, he's really polished. The other guys fields at Ohio state. I really like, I think he might have as much upside as anybody in the game in, in this draft. Wow. Um, he, he just has to conquer a few things in getting there. You know, I think the pocket is, is different for these kids when they get to the NFL level. It's, it's a shrinking pocket. It's never clean. These are the th unknowns that we have to find out about him, about Trey Lance, about Mac Jones. They're not going to get the throw from clean pockets. So they don't have to be great athletes, but they have to be athletic enough where they can move their feet and reset themselves within the pocket. We all know Tom Brady, not a great athlete, right? But the best I've been around ever at set, resetting his feet in the pocket and freeing himself up so that his legs are under him to make all the throws. And these guys do need that, especially a guy like Mac Jones. He needs his legs under him. And that's why I think you see the polarizing evaluations on him anywhere from the best guy to the fifth guy, just because I think people see that lack of physical skills at time and wonder if his mind can make up for it all. Now, who's the best? And it's interesting you brought up that aspect of Tom Brady's game, because I've always believed he's one of the best at manipulating the pocket and evading yep. pressure back there. Putting Lawrence back into this basket with all of them, who's yep. the best at doing that? Well, I guess time will tell. I mean, we don't know that. Right now, I think Zach Wilson is. He can evade rushers. He can reset his feet. And the, the, the crazy thing about him is he doesn't have to have his legs to make throws. That's why the comparison to Mahomes, Favre, those kind of guys, because they don't have to have their feet set under him to still make all the throws. So for me, he's a little bit different cat. Now, Trevor Lawrence, I think, can do all that. We just haven't had to see it because he's always operating from a clean pocket. So I think there's some... Just a, a little bit of a leap of faith with these other guys because you just haven't seen it all yet. 
And, you know, if you step away from the quarterbacks in this class, there's so much talk and so much hype about Kyle Pitts. And I spoke to an AFC executive this week who told me that he might be better at tight end than Trevor Lawrence is at quarterback, that he has Hall of Fame all-pro potential. When you look at this whole class, Randy, is Kyle Pitts the best non-quarterback in it? Because all of the buzz seems to be building towards Pitts being the first non-quarterback chosen. But is he the best non-quarterback on the board? He is for me. And I went into it with a little bit of skepticism. When I studied him, I've never been one for drafting a tight end up this high. I just think he's limited. Even the greatest tight ends of all time, they're still limited in what they can do. Right. But I saw a different cat in Kyle Pitts. I saw a guy that's not only a tight end. I think he's a receiver. He's really a weapon. He's he's all the above. And for me, yes, he I had him rated behind those two top quarterbacks that we talked about, but I could see someone taking him in a heartbeat at any spot along the way. I just think he's going to be a matchup nightmare, and all the analysts have, have shared their feelings with, with you on why. I always come back to this, though. Even if they cover him, I'm not sure they can do anything about him catching the ball. So that's that's the ultimate, you know, uh, third strike in, in, that he's never striking out with because he's always available. He's always open. I think he would be a great advantage. And I think back to my years with Philip Rivers. He loved uh, these guys like Antonio Gates, who, who were always open, right? Even when they were covered, if that makes any sense at all. This kid, I think, is going to always be open and always be available. Yeah, and you see the league kind of moving towards two tight end sets. And you look at what New England did going out and bringing in both Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. It's kind of trending in that direction offensively. But when you look at the defensive side of the ball, I'm really curious as someone who's made the evaluations and made the picks, how do you handle someone like Micah Parsons, who might be the most gifted defensive prospect, but you hear these whispers about character concerns or red flags? You know, how would you balance that evaluation if you were sitting in a war room and you're on the clock and Micah is on the board? That's a little tougher one for me because of philosophy, right? right. I'm always one that's going to, if, have, if I have a choice, I'm going to get a big guy. I'm going to draft a big defensive lineman, if at all possible, an offensive tackle, because those are the guys that are getting paid and they're the hardest guys to find. I think every year you can find linebackers. I really do, especially non-pass rushing ones. And, right. and he does a little bit of everything, but not a lot of numbers as a sack guy. I think there's some bigger, more safer picks up front in a year that not many of them seem to be filtering to the top. But I guess that's where I would uh, struggle with a guy like Parsons is there's a lot of what ifs. I mean, you started your question with maybe and if, what is he? You know, we had this come up with the, uh, I think it's the Simmons kid last year in Arizona. Yeah. They drafted him from Clemson, I believe. Everybody said he's a safety, he's a, he's a linebacker, he's a rusher. Well, I don't know if he's any of that yet. So that's the problem you have is you have these guys that are multitaskers that have been asked to do all these things in college. They're going to be asked to do one thing in the pros. And once they master that, then they'll move on. So that that one's a little hard for me to connect the dots on. I just don't see the value there. Uh, and, and it could be because I'm tied to the fact that I want big guys and I want fast guys. And I'll find uh, those kind of linebackers, especially inside ones. And you can find them maybe in the middle rounds of the draft yeah. or in free agency, a couple of playmakers shake loose every year. And Blake Martinez signing with the Giants right. is a good example of that. You know, when you look at this defensive class, in your opinion, who's the best defensive player and who would be a comp to somebody in the pros that you might compare them to? Well, I, I, and again, I think you see defensive players this year um, evaluated by the experts all over the place, right? Yeah. The, the names that do come to mind for me are Patrick Sertain, the corner, and J.C. Horn, the other corner. Those guys are always going to be in the mix. I think they, they both stand a chance to be picked in the top 12, maybe. But the guy for me is a kid from uh, Miami, Jalen Phillips. 
who's a one-year grad transfer from UCLA. He's rising up boards right now, it seems like, when you talk to people. I think people are catching up to the evaluation now. You're talking about 6'5", 270 pounds, can play three technique, five technique, seven technique, a lot of versatility. And it's all about fit for that front seven, right? Everything's about fit. Where does he fit in our scheme? How do our coaches view him? And the comp for him to me is Richard Seymour. I see a guy like Richard Seymour with big, strong hands, can get off blocks. That's what I see with Phillips, but yet he's a pass rusher as well. So I think he's kind of the unsung hero of all these defensive guys and could easily be the first defensive guy picked. Who's the guy in in this class that if you're in the room, you're pounding the table for, you know, because everybody's looking for these guys in round two or round three to step up. You know, who's the guy in that range who could be the DK Metcalf type or the Jeremy Chin type who steps in and makes an immediate impact as a rookie and then just goes on from there? Yeah, that's a hard one. You know, there's a lot of, uh, I think people are saying there's not a lot of depth in this draft. And I think especially when you're talking about defensive linemen, and I've looked at a ton of corners myself trying to find a guy like you just mentioned, where I can say, I might be able to get this guy in the third round and he's going to come in and maybe be a starter for us. I haven't found him. Yeah, I really haven't. I just think this might be one of those drafts where we had a lot of guys opt in to stay in school. I just think the quality of the depth is really going to be lacking in this draft. And those teams that do can, can come up with a guy in that round three or round four that ends up being a player. And there will be those guys. I'm not equipped to say who it is. I just haven't found him yet. And I've looked at a ton of guys. I just don't see the depth being there in this year's draft. I'll say this, there's one kid and he may end up being a first round pick. So it's not a sleeper. It's a defensive tackle from Vanderbilt who played really good, um, was going to the senior bowl, Hurt his Achilles the week before he went. Uh, it's like, he, I, I'm going to butcher his name. It's like Abajibo or something like that. Number 10. Yeah. Really an explosive, quick interior player in a, in a draft without interior defensive linemen. I could see this guy being a power player and a quickness player and fitting in a lot of schemes. So uh, like I say, I apologize. I'm butchering his name, but people will that watch film will know him. He's a Vandy kid that I think will go a long ways in the NFL and be a productive player. You know, what's draft weekend really like for the GM of a team? What was it like for Randy Mueller, Mueller? Because, you know, fans don't get access to that. We might get a couple, right. you know, cut-ins on ESPN or whatever. And I guess the follow-up to that is, let's say you have a scout who pounds the table for a Justin Jefferson, so to speak, and you don't take that guy and you take a different guy. How often does that scout or that coach remind Randy, hey, look what Justin Jefferson did this week. Like, what, What's the dynamic like after the draft when these guys wind, wind up being pros if you passed on somebody who winds up being a great player? Right. Well, I'll take the first part of that first. The draft weekend itself, and I can only equate this to people on the outside, is let's pretend you're taking the law degree test or some kind of a major final test, right? If you've studied and if you've prepared, that test day is pretty calm, right? You, yeah. you kind of know, you, you get it. I've had more times at, at than not being able to walk in a draft room on the morning of and feel very relaxed and feel very easy about what we're doing because we've prepared, we've talked about every scenario and we have a plan for everything. So that's, I think people would be shocked at how little conversation there is. There's nobody pounding the book the table for anybody at that point that's all been done we've put all those scraps to bed and what i always harp on is we're all going to come out of this together whatever we do so to answer the second part of your question is if i find that someone is not on board with what we did they need to have voiced that weeks before not weeks after and so that's always a little red flag for me got it that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. now who are two or three guys that you think could sneak into the first round that not a lot of people are talking about right now 
Well, I think everybody talks about the quarterbacks, right? You know, yeah. and whether it's the Davis Mills kid from Stanford, who who I think is probably the 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 most likely to sneak up in there. Kyle Trask, for some, might work. He might work for a place like Pittsburgh, who hasn't been able to fill their need. I think we're still going to see some trading up in that first maybe twelve to fifteen picks. That's going to uh, determine who sneaks in the back end of that first round. Then you have some teams that don't have picks either. And, and Seattle, as we know, has made a history of finding ways to maybe sneak back in that first round and, and pick a, a need-based player. Um, they've swung and missed a few times because of it too, but I, I think that's, that's their MO, right? That's what they want to do. So some of these teams will sneak in there. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, there's a couple uh, offensive linemen that I think Maybe not centers, maybe not guards, but the tackle group is really deep. So rather than say particulars, I just think you're going to find tackle value at the bottom of the first round. And, and I'm always a believer that you're going to draft tackles. I don't really love drafting guards. I don't really love drafting centers. I want the center to be a veteran experienced guy who's seen everything. So it's more a philosophy than anything else. And you can turn a tackle into a guard if the guard depth isn't there in the class. Well, I think anytime you draft one of these young guys early, I would always start them, even if it was a center. And I've drafted two centers in the second round who came to us and started at guard their first year just to get their feet wet. I think it's a struggle for an offensive lineman, especially for a center to come in and all of a sudden be the quarterback of that front, having never seen uh, what NFL defenses are going to show you and the speed of which it is to adjust to them. I think that Denver ran into that a little bit last year in that they had uh, Drew Locke who got you know, up and down, pounded most of the year, but they started a rookie center a lot of the time. And I think that that was a burden for Drew Locke. That kid may end up being a good player, but it's really hard to pick up the speed of all the things that are going on up front as a center while you're learning your own job and getting your own feet wet. So just some philosophical things that, that have helped me throughout the years. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And just looking around the whole league, the one team that I think is really intriguing in round one and can go a couple of different ways is the Tennessee Titans. They have a pretty big need at wide receiver. They certainly have a need at corner after letting Adoree Jackson go. If they have to decide between those two, what do you think they do in round one? Well, I think they'll take the highest rated player. That's what I yeah. do think. I think John Robinson is his understanding, having spent time in other uh, NFL front offices to know that we have to have a job description made out for our guys. And we have to know exactly about their fit. And I think he... He spun out a couple on, of those picks the last couple of years because of that. I think he's going to be really cognizant about taking a guy, and I think there'll be one that's on their top 12 or 15 uh, list when they get to their pick. And I think he'll find the guy who fits best, which in most cases, it's the best player on your board. So I, I think that'll be their philosophy more than anything else. Again, big guys, fast guys. Can't go wrong with those guys. Where you struggle, I think, is like an edge rusher or somebody that doesn't really play a position. That's a reach, you know, a third down back. Those kind of guys, well, when we run out the 11 to start the game, we don't have a, a spot for those guys. So you end up thinking you're one player away from putting your team over the edge instead of drafting a solid, well-rounded football player that can play three downs. And now back to your old stomping grounds in New Orleans, you have Drew Brees retire. He's going to walk into the Hall of Fame five years from now. What do the Saints do at quarterback? Is Jameis Winston, after watching him, is he the heir apparent there? Or do you think that in the next couple of years, they're going to have to go shopping? Well, they may have to go shopping, but I know this, they're excited about what they have. I think the combination of those two, Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill, give Sean Payton a lot of optimism. I really think he's excited to see what he can do. I don't think the job necessarily is going to all fall on one of those guys. 
but he likes the work Jameis gives him from the pocket, the ability to make all throws all over the field, maybe even more so than Drew this last year or so downfield. And then he adds in the Taysom factor, which is hard to defend as well, because you never know athletically what he's going to be able to do. So I think it's a good situation for them. I really do. I think they're going to find that team, you know, having gone through what they did cap wise, they had to cut a lot of players to get to get under the cap and be cap compliant. So I think they have opened up some options that they can also draft best player as well, because they have needs everywhere as backups. So I think you could see them taking a defensive back. Um, again, they, they have a plan on their cap that extends more than this year and goes into next year and the year after. So they know when they're going to lose guys better than we do. So I think all options are open for the Saints. And, you know, it's not often that I have the chance to pick the brain of a GM who was in the room in 2000. You guys took Mark Bolger in the sixth round over Tom Brady. Now, now 32 teams, full disclosure here, passed on Brady at least five and some six times. <laughs> how, how many sleepless nights did that cause you? And, and, and Bolger was a pretty good pick at the time. He wound up having a pretty nice career. Right. But, you know, how many sleepless nights did you have watching Tom Brady go on to become what, what he became? Well, uh, it, it, Tom Brady has ruined more GMs Sundays and, and, and weeks than any other in the history of the league. That's for sure. When we drafted Mark Bolger, how about this? He was our fourth quarterback and we drafted him really on the recommendation of Mike McCarthy, who had a good feel for him. Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys head coach, yeah. was our offensive coordinator in New Orleans. And he had a good feel for this kid. And I was always forgetting one quarterback at some point that we could have in the pipeline, but we couldn't even get Mark Bolger a snap in practice. Because yeah. we had four quarterbacks all ended up being NFL starters. Jake DeLone was the third guy. Aaron Brooks was the second guy. And Jeff Blake was the first guy. So those were our four quarterbacks in camp. And poor Mark couldn't even get a snap in OTAs, right? So we ended up keeping him for a while on our practice squad. And then the Rams took him from us. And we just couldn't protect all of our guys. Yeah. How close was it with Brady? Where, where was he on your board, if you could think back to, to then? Oh boy, that's a good one. I think everybody kind of had him rated in that fifth or sixth range. Yeah. I don't think anybody said, hey, this guy's a first or second round talent. I mean, he, Tom Brady's a credit to himself, right? I mean, obviously yeah. the Patriots picked him and, and have, you know, rode it for 20 years, but he's a credit to himself. The things that he's done, and I remember this back in my time when I worked for ESPN for a couple of years in between jobs, I got a chance to go to a few camps and it was when Brady was just getting rolling. He had made a pro bowl or two, but he wasn't the Tom Brady. I remember watching him at training camp, the intricate details of all the drills he was doing to actually improve on his already pro bowl status. It was incredible. And it's no, no, no surprise to me that he's continued to work on those same little things. Guys like him, guys like Drew Brees, these guys are finely tuned and driven in every way. And, and they're always looking for extra, always looking to get better. And I was so impressed that stuck with me over all these years with Tom Brady doing the little footwork drills, sliding his feet in the pocket. And guess what? He's become the best ever at sliding around. And like you say, moving within the pocket. Yeah, and that certainly helped him prolong his career and prolong playing at the level that he's playing at right now, coming off a Super Bowl. And, you know, Randy, this has been really terrific and insightful and a great conversation. Um, I'm curious, though, you know, tell me what you have going on at MuellerFootball.com. Looks like you have a lot of great content you're cranking out, especially getting ready for the NFL draft. What can fans expect when they check out your site? Well, I like to write, and, and it really, I only can write from the GM chair, right? Because that's what I know. I don't know much it's about it. It's a great chair else. to write from. It's a better <laughs> chair than my couch, you know, well, as, you know armchair it, analyst, you know? It's been, it's been a good ride. It's been a different take. And, and like you say, I've, I've built some teams and have been around some, some great ones, whether it's 
you know, Bill Parcells or Nick Saban or Mike Holmgren. I've been lucky enough to have an office next to those guys. So I've been able to, to learn from the best. And I just try to write different things from a different angle that people want. And so I keep a blog on MuellerFootball.com and, and it's been uh, read well. I've got a lot of great comments on it. I also do a podcast for The Athletic with Mike Sando called The Football GM. And we've done that weekly since last summer. So those are the things that keep me busy. Awesome. Yeah, I love reading, you know, your reports and your outlooks on guys and you, you know, certainly bring a wealth of experience to the craft that not a lot of people in media can give that perspective. So Randy, this has been outstanding. I really enjoyed the conversation, enjoyed the takes and everybody listening should go ahead and follow Randy on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore and check out MuellerFootball.com. Randy, appreciate the time, my man, and I look forward to talking to you further up the road. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. Really great stuff there from Randy Mueller. And you know, his conversation and his thoughts about the interior defensive linemen in this class sort of echo what you hear talking to people currently inside the league. And that shouldn't be a surprise given the fact that he's a former GM and probably has a very similar perspective to guys making the evaluations going into this year's draft, that there just aren't that many dominant defensive linemen to be had. And and if you, you know, are a defensive lineman in this class, you could get pushed up to be drafted a round or so before maybe you would in a previous class. And one guy who I think has a really compelling story and a really interesting chance to go on day two of the NFL draft, be it late second, early third round pick, is Penn State defensive end Shaka Tony. And Shaka joined us on the other side right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fan Sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. You probably know Progressive Insurance for insuring your home and auto. You may know Flo and Dr. Rick. But what you may not know is that Progressive helps employees support over 3,800 charitable organizations annually because we're committed to helping our employees, and our employees are committed to helping others. Anyway, we just wanted to share. We were a little too proud of it to keep it to ourselves. And if you already knew all of this about us, you've either heard this radio spot before or just randomly know a lot about Progressive. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates based on data from May 2020 through April 2021. All right, welcome back to the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast. And joining us, as promised, NFL draft hopeful and Penn State defensive end Shaka Tony joins the program. Shaka, thanks for taking the time today, man. How you doing? How you doing, man? I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Matt. Of course. And, you know, looking forward to the conversation. And, you know, before we get too deep into it, I'm really curious about what this pre-draft process has been like for you. What have been some of the biggest challenges? What are you working on? What are you hoping the teams take away from their conversations with you? Just what has this pre-draft process been like for Shaka Tony? Um, really just teams getting to know me. Um, people really seeing how much football I know, how much information I can retain and regurgitate back to them. Really just focusing in on just checking off all the little boxes and details, you know, trying to just make that one team fall in love with you. So it's been fun. Yeah, and, you know, ever since you opted for the NFL and you went through the training process, I'm sure it's been a lot of hard work. But then you really showed out at Pro Day. You ran a 4.51 in the 40, had a 39-inch vertical. How were you able to put up such impressive numbers? What's been kind of your workout regimen been like? Well, I've always done things like that. You know, people just, you know, you be around endless freaks of nature, walking around the building all the time. You know, other, other athletes can get forgotten about. So, you know, I'm really just doing all the little things, whatever my trainer tells me to do, you know, just working hard and realizing that I don't know anything. You know, I got to trust the people that's around me. 
because they gonna know what's best for me. So I just really just work every single day. You know, just just getting in from the gym gym now. So it's a everyday grind, you know, maximizing every twenty four hours that you get get. Excuse me. Yeah, and you know, you brought up the quote unquote freaks of nature that are walking around that building. And you know, it, it really fascinates me watching every single year, whether it's a Saquon Barkley or a Chris Godwin and Mike Gasicki, or this year, guys like you and Micah Parsons and Jason Oway. It seems like Penn State always has some of the most impressive testing numbers in the country, whether it's at the combine winning gold medals, or you know, you see what Saquon did in the weight room there, or what you were able to do at Pro Day. What's going on in Happy Valley? How come you guys are always so successful at these on-the-field tests? The biggest thing is, you know, we just work hard every day. You know, we really compete. It's always brotherly competition. You know, you don't have to tear somebody down for y'all both to, like, bring each other – and y'all can both bring each other up. Uh, you know, sit – you in the weight room. Me and Jason live right next to each other. If I see he's doing something, I'll make sure I get on my bar. If I feel like – he feels like, yo, we need to push ourselves today. And we're going to go past the, the number that we got on the sheet. And that's just what we do. You know, it's, it's one of those type of atmospheres where you it's not the glitz and glamour of some other schools. You know, that's what people try to sell you on. It's really, we're going to do this work. You know, we don't need stainless steel glass windows everywhere. You got a weight room. You got a bar. You got your team. You just got to go in there do what you got to do. Because everybody's going to show up every single day. You don't want to be that guy that's just lagging behind when everybody else is peaking and hitting their numbers and he's just not getting better. Like, nobody wants to be that guy, so everybody's work, working to outwork each other. Yeah, and you hear all the time about, you know, how much competing matters at Penn State and how it's one of the core values of the program. Um, I'm just curious, you know, now that I have the chance to chat, the chat with you here, you know, how is playing for Coach James Franklin and that coaching staff prepared you for the NFL? Really just understand the biggest takeaway I have from school is really uh, life is a process. You know, there's there's things that you just have to get done for you to be successful. You know, there's there's sometimes you get a break and some people view breaks as shortcuts, but you know, you don't, you can't take shortcuts in life. You know, everything has a process, you know, whether you want to be a chef or you want to own a five-star hotel, you know, there's process, there's a lot of due diligence that you have to do. And the older I got and the more and more I went through the program, I realized that this truly a process that you really have to do what they're saying. You have to do more than what is required of you. Everything goes hand in hand and it's really a journey. Like there's no, there's nobody that just wakes up and they're better than everybody. You know, you can be more naturally talented than somebody, but there's a guy that can outwork you and get on the field before you do because he's going through the process the right way. He's doing everything the right way. He's understanding it's the little details that's going to separate him from the next guy. How about Shaka Tony's journey? Because you obviously had one more year of eligibility after everything that happened with COVID. You're able to go to the Senior Bowl and show out there. And, you know, by all accounts, you were pretty impressive during the week. You know, what went into the decision to go into the NFL draft now, that this was the time for you to, to take that next step in your career? Well, the biggest thing just communicating with my coaches. You know, I, I asked them, do they think I need another year? You know, I probably asked them probably like two weeks before the season ended. And about the week week of, week before, like a little bit, little, little bit into the week, they just came to me and was like, man, we just feel like you've done you've done enough. Like, go go and make that next step. You know, it's not only am I old as old in college years being 23 already, but 
I was there five years already, and I've done a lot on the field. I've had success. You know, I've made a lot of strides. I got plenty more to go. But we just came together you know, with coaches, staff, family, and it just made sense. You know, I, I, it felt good to have their blessing, to feel like, you know, Shaka is your time. So it it wasn't difficult as it was, you know, Red Shirt Junior, junior year deciding to come back. It, it was a lot easier. You know, everybody felt comfortable and supportive of me taking the next step into the into the journey. Yeah, and you certainly accomplished a lot up there. You know, you look at the 20 and a half career sacks, you're coming off a five sack senior season. Um, so certainly it makes sense. And you have the production to match up with the tape and all of those things. But, you know, you talk to people around the league and whether it's scouts or GMs or executives, there's a lot of people pounding the table for one of your teammates, Jason Oway, who didn't have a sack this year, but people are enamored by the athleticism and his tape. As somebody who worked out next to Jason Oway and your teammates on the same defense, What's the team getting in him? Really, he's just getting you getting a competitive, a competitive monster. You know, Jason's one of them people when you tell him he he can't or you doubt him, he takes it personally every single time you say it to him. So you know you're going to get a guy that's going to show up every single day, and all they're going to do is work. All he's going to do is work. You know, the guy that's in front of him, he's he he should probably count his days honestly because that boy's going to come in to try to take his job. You know, he's going to learn, he's going to be respectful, he's going to be humble, but he's coming in there to do what he has to do to be the best player on the field and on the team at any given time. And one of the best players on your team for two years before he opted out was Micah Parsons. What did he mean to your guys' defense? And have you guys worked out or trained or kept in touch during this whole process? Like, what's your relationship with Micah and uh, your expectation for him in the draft? Well, me and Micah, I've known him. I've known, we've known each other since high school. That's that's been my boy. I was the guy freshman year when he wanted to come to campus when he was still in high school that he came and stayed in my apartment and my room and stuff annoying me. That's that's really my brother. You know, we got a very unique relationship. Uh, we just got done working out today. Uh, we, we work out together now um, post draft process. And really, you know, you you're getting the best linebacker in the draft. You know, he's going to go sideline to sideline. He's going to clean up a lot of guys mistakes. He's relentless. You know, it's it's some of them, them once in a generation of players, and he's him. You know, it's crazy to see so many people question it, you know, that he's not a top 10 pick and all that. It's just like, if you pass up on him, you're going to regret it. You know, he's a Luke Keekley, um, a Ray Lewis, you know, one of those type of guys. Brian Erlach is just one of them downhill beasts, but he's athletic enough. Where if he got split out wide and guarded Travis Kelsey, he's gonna be able to get it done. You know, he's the type of competitor. You know, you run four three nine, I think. You know, there's it, no excuse for him not to be great. He's gonna go out there and dominate. So anything less than him being in a, a defensive rookie of the year conversation, I probably had to probably have to beat him up for that one. It's funny that you brought up Ray Lewis because I spoke to a personnel executive about Micah a couple months ago, and he said that, you know, the guys that he sees is someone with a higher ceiling than Devin White. And if he continues to improve using his hands and getting off blocks, you look at guys like Ray Lewis and Luke Keekley and all those guys. So, yeah, I, I certainly see the comparison. And, you know, it's kind of wild. You know, you brought up the fact that you hosted him during your recruiting weekend. Um, if you could today talk to a, pen, a recruit who's looking at colleges, what would you tell them about Penn State? If they're interested in committing to Penn State, what would you tell them? The biggest thing I tell them is just be ready for the culture. You know, it's like I said, we're all about hard work and competing. You know, there's not endless five stars signing there. You know, there's a lot of guys that are just hard workers. You know, a lot of guys that were 
under-recruited, undervalued. You know, yeah, we get some of those big names, but it's a lot of guys in that 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 team was built by a lot of lower three three star, low four star guys, you know, two star guys. So you gotta understand that you're gonna have to show up there and work and you got to prove it. You know, nobody's not gonna give nothing to you in there. You know, it, it was kids that through my years, they came there and they wanted us to be like all over them. And it's like, listen, man, like we love you. You know, we're gonna we gonna embrace you as a brother. But you gotta, you gotta want to be a part of the culture. Like nobody's above the culture. You know, it's it's all about hard work here. And you know, some kids think they want to work hard, but you go in that building every single day, you're gonna walk away feeling exhausted. And that's because we nobody's going to outwork us. You know, we're we're trying to get to that point. Where we're getting over that threshold. You know, you gotta beat Ohio State. Gotta beat Michigan. Michigan State. You know, you want to get to the playoffs. It, it, it requires. We're trying to figure out that one percent to get over the hump. You know, people think last year is who we are, but that was, you know, it was an outlier. It was tough for us. We had a lot of injuries, a lot of stuff happened with us, you know, like behind closed doors, but we stayed together as a team. That's why we finished off strong, and I expect big things from this year. So it's either, you know, for me, is you going to join, you know, had, it, had your mindset ready that I'm going to go in there and I'm going to outwork the guy in front of me and the guy that they're recruiting behind me. What sparked that second half turnaround? Because, you know, you start out 0-5, and, and of course, it's not a normal year at all. There's no whiteout with 110,000 fans for the Ohio State game. Everything that was going on with James Franklin and his family living in Florida and him living up here and being with the program and all that. You know, what, what sparked that turnaround? Because you're right, you guys, you know, turned it around down the stretch. Um, and especially that season finale against Illinois, where you just went out and it looked like you guys were playing your bowl game in that extra game. What sparked that second half for you guys after such a, a rough start? I wouldn't say it was a spark. It was just a day. Everybody making the daily investments, you know, older, younger coaches, everybody in the building was like, we, we know this is not who we are. And we got to keep working and keep figuring out our 1% of what we're going to do to get better so we can get back on track. And, you know, going into Michigan week, you know, I, I myself and others, we made it clear, like, yo, we haven't won at Michigan in over a decade. Why, what better way to get back on the, on track on the season to win somewhere you haven't won in a decade, be the team that always talk trash to you. You know, it's really just, it's one of them games. And we go out there, we have a great game. We have consistent running game, great play from the quarterback, um, a huge stop on fourth down. You know, everything just went right and we just, just kind of is like, this is what we do. And just every single day, we just kept working, kept working. You know, we've seen the fruits of the labor at the end of the season. You know, yeah, you don't go 500, but, you know, you put the team back on track. For me as a senior, helping the team get back on track to be like, yo, listen, that's this is what we do. We're a winner, we're a winner program. You know, it's time for us to get back to where we need to be. And, you know, it just felt, it felt right being able to send the team off like that. You know, I know for me and other guys that left this year, yeah, and Shaka, you were really a leader on that defense basically your entire time up there as a four-year starter. Um, but now preparing for the NFL draft, and in a typical year, everybody, fans, media, I'm sure college players and teammates, everybody watches the combine, right? And you watch everybody run the 40-yard dash and the bench press videos of the guy, you know, screaming over you while you're doing the bench press. And then you have all the meetings at nighttime. But what's something about the pre-draft process that fans and media might not know about until you've gone through it. You're a week away from the draft now, but what's something that might have surprised you about this whole process or that you didn't know about going into it? 
Well, you know, we we really haven't got to experience all of that. You know, it's really sure. just, it's just been meetings on Zoom and and that's pretty much it. Other than pro day, you know, we can't go visit anywhere. Um, only a few guys went to Indianapolis, you know, for a medical, but we didn't get to do anything. Like I I got two big clothes, two bigger clothes, like for my combine workout stuff. Like must they they ship me too big of stuff, but because we're not doing a combine this year, I can't even get uh, like swap it off of stuff that fits. So it's been tough, you know. A lot of people, you know, they they don't realize what it's been like, especially for these guys that are going through the combine process right now. You know, you really you know college football. Yeah, they gave us an extra year, but you know, if you didn't use it, you kind you kind of just going through this process, and it's a tough one. You know, as far as COVID train like training with COVID. Like having to train a whole extra month, you know, usually you get done combine work, like work, you know, 40 and bench press and all that stuff. And you get done that, you just focus on drills. Well, all of us, you know, that's been going through this process, we've been training the extra four, like extra two months compared to everybody else of doing 40 starts every day, doing 225 bench press, 510, wow. five shuttle, the three cone shuttle. And having to do the drills all the same because you know you don't none of us knew how pro day was even going to go. You know, usually a uh, major a bulk of the guys at schools pro days have already done combine testing, so we had to prepare to do all of the combine testing and the field work all in one day. So it, it was it's been tough. It's been challenging. You know, I I hurt for guys who are coming out of schools and they're by themselves. And unfortunately for me, I came out with got like a few people I got to work out with Lamont Wade down Florida you know me Jason Owe we're really close we got to do D-line drills when we had breaks you know and even at pro day we all were able to bond together and really just keep getting our work done you know all throughout the day so it's been tough it's been challenging so I you know I, I wish I could have got the experience more of the normal draft process you know, unfortunately I didn't but you know I don't regret anything you know it's that's just how life go you gotta you gotta deal with the cars that you dealt. I hadn't even thought of that, that you're still going through all of the drills and all of the training for a combine that didn't even happen because you got to stay on your toes much longer because of pro day. Yeah, that's it's certainly a different process to this whole thing than what we've seen in recent years. And, you know, Shaka, I know you're a Philly guy. Have you met with the Eagles in all of this? Uh, I've met with a couple personnel people. Yes, I have. There you go. I wasn't sure because Nick Sirianni talked about how he now plays rock, paper, scissors with the draft prospects. So I wasn't sure if you played rock, paper, scissors with Sirianni during your meeting. No, I haven't gotten any rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> there you go. Uh, has it been disappointing not to have that combine to go to for you? Um, not disappointing. Just just you wish you could experience it. You know, everybody has a different opinion on going to Indianapolis. But for me, you know, I've been doing this my whole life, you know, it, that's just a part of the process. And for me, I want people, I like everything about it. So I wanted to go up there, deal with having to do the late, late night meetings, stretching and preparing for the 40 and hotel, just, just cause that's what has, has, has always been, you know, it's, it's unique. Everybody don't get to do it. You know, even all the guys that declare, everybody doesn't go to the combine. So, you know, for me, it was enough for me to just, I just want to be able to go. Yeah, and, and certainly it's an opportunity to have the whole league watching you at one time, every coach, every GM, all the scouts and all that. So, uh, you know, it's certainly disappointing that you guys haven't had a chance to go through all that and have that stage. You know, if you're on a Zoom right now and it wasn't me on the other end, if it wasn't a podcast and it was an a interview or a meeting with a head coach or a GM, 
what would you want them to, you know, close up the laptop or hang up the phone having learned about Shaka Tony? He's a hard worker. He's intelligent. He knows football. You know, he's a people person. You know, he, he loves to help people. He loves to give back to his community. And he's a guy that's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that his team win and that he performs to the best of his abilities every single day. Yeah, and I guess along those same lines, and those are all great traits, and those are the things that you hear GMs and coaches talk about, the intangibles, and you certainly have all of those. You know, when, when you get on the field, what's a team getting in Shaka Tony along their defensive line? A relentless pass rusher, you know, a playmaker, and a guy that's going to do his job. Good stuff, Shaka. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. And everybody listening should go ahead and follow Shaka Tony on Twitter at Saka underscore Tony. Shaka, appreciate the time. Best of luck in the draft, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Really good stuff there from Shaka Tony. And if you watch his game at Penn State, he's productive. He's twitchy. He's really one of those downhill pass rushers who gets after the quarterback in a hurry. And there are a lot of teams that need pass rush help in a class that's kind of bereft of high-end pass rushers. When you talk to people around the league, and Randy Mueller brought it up earlier on in the podcast, pass rusher is one of those positions that just isn't that deep in this year's class. So I think Tony's a guy who has a really good chance of going somewhere in that early to mid-second round to early third round, day two type of a pick. And, you know, some of the teams that can really use him, you know, you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I don't know what they're going to do in round one, but they could use an additional pass rusher opposite of Jason Pierre-Paul. The Cleveland Browns are a team that, yes, I know they went out last week and signed Jadeveon Clowney, and that was absolutely a move to try to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, but they need to continue to bolster their pass rush crop opposite of Miles Garrett, and that's how you beat the Chiefs, is knocking Patrick Mahomes around, getting him uncomfortable in the pocket, and they just don't have that many horses who are able to do that sort of thing. The Buffalo Bills are another team that opposite of Ed Oliver could really use another pass rusher based on how the AFC championship game played out. So best of luck to Shaka Tony. I hope he winds up in a good spot and certainly teams are getting a hardworking kid. And I wouldn't rule out somebody like the Philadelphia Eagles or even the New York Giants from kicking the tires on Shaka Tony, depending on what they do in round one, in rounds two or three, on night two of the draft. Now, you know, as always, we're going to read a couple of questions and answer a couple of questions off Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Lombardo NFL, and get your questions in there. Uh, Brian Gallagher, at BGall15, checks in, and he asks, what should the Giants do at number 11, and what do you think they will do at number 11? Please, no edge rusher at 11. <laughs> You know, I, I look at the Giants, and obviously that's a team that I cover for G-Men HQ in addition to everything I do at fansided.com, writing the column, hosting the podcast, and covering the league on a national level. You know, but you look at the Giants' situation, and I think there's a couple of things in play here. Number one, if Micah Parsons is on the board, I'm, I'm fairly convinced he's going to be the pick. Because if you listen to Dave Gettleman with Chris Pettit during the press conference this week, it really seemed... Like the Giants are very high on the linebackers in this class. And Micah Parsons is the most dominant linebacker in this class. I think he's the linebacker with the highest ceiling and the highest floor. And you have people in that building like Sean Spencer, who's the Giants defensive line coach and was the defensive line coach at Penn State when Parsons was there to give some background on Micah Parsons and ease some of the concerns that might be out there in terms of his character and whatever red flags that some organizations might have on him. The Giants are uniquely positioned to handle those. And I think that you drop Parsons alongside 
Blake Martinez, and you have one of the more dominant inside linebacker duos in the league, not to mention Patrick Graham plays multiple so often, and he moves his personnel around like a chessboard so often that you could easily see, as Shaka Tony talked about, Micah Parsons lining up and covering a tight end or a running back out of the backfield. You could easily see Micah Parsons put his hand on the ground as a defensive end. He was a five-star defensive end and the number one defensive end at Harrisburg High School across the country when he arrived in Happy Valley and James Franklin and staff converted him to inside linebacker where he became an All-American in two years. So that's the type of player that you're getting in Micah Parsons, and I think the Giants are a team that could be in the mix there. I also happen to think that, you know, trading down is realistically and reasonably in play for Dave Gettleman and the Giants. He's never done it in his career, but you look at this board, and if the top four quarterbacks are gone and Mac Jones is still sitting there or another quarterback is sitting there that a team like the New England Patriots has their sights set on, I can see them trading back and moving back a couple of spots. And at that point, you're looking at guys like Jalen Phillips and Jason Owe also pass rushers that fill a legitimate need. J.C. Horn is another name to watch, but I think that if it's not Micah Parsons or if Parsons is already gone, Devonta Smith is the guy. And I don't know that Devonta Smith slides all the way to 11, but I reported this a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it on the pod last week. If you talk to scouts around the NFL, there's a, a strong belief that Dave Gettleman is enamored by Devonta Smith, that the Giants are all in on surrounding Daniel Jones with as many playmakers as possible. So I look at the, their situation. If it's not going to be Micah Parsons, if it's not a trade down and Devonta Smith is there, I think his name's on the card and he's the next Giants draft pick at number 11 overall. All right, let's do this. So let's have some fun. Hit it. This podcast is under review. As we talked about last week, every Friday we will read a review for the Matt Lombardo Show and or Stacking the Box on the podcast. And this one comes from Brian underscore Foss. Matt Vergeram does a fantastic job with this and the Arrowhead Attic podcast covering the Chiefs. Whenever I see a new podcast is out, it goes right to the top of my queue. Carm's takes are a little tough to listen to at times, but I've also really been enjoying Lombardo's contribution, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from him. Thanks, Brian, for reaching out. Thanks for the review. And again, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, I would really love it if you would subscribe. Just go to the Apple Podcast Store, search for fan-sided Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. Really love it. If you would leave a five-star review for the Matt Lombardo Show, it really helps grow the podcast. It lets me know some of the guests that you would like to have me try to get on, and I'll do my best to go and try and get them. So this has been a really fun show. Thanks a lot to Shaka Tony from Penn State. Thanks to Randy Mueller. Thanks to you for listening. And again, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to Stacking the Box in the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us those five-star reviews for the Matt Lombardo Show, and you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. I'm Matt Lombardo. This time next week, we will be one round into the NFL draft. We'll break it all down then. We'll give our best picks, our worst picks. We'll get some analysts on to break down Thursday night and look ahead to the rest of the draft. I'm looking forward to it and hope you all have a great week. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. 
And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.